today's verse is Ecclesiastes 6, 10, 7, 14. Whoever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? The contrast of wisdom and folly. A good name is better than a precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the soul of the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also this also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good within, with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything will be after him. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks, brother. For 30 years of my life, nearly 30, I lived under the sun without any understanding of spiritual truth, life, Jesus. It was just nothing to me. I grew up in a family that uh, was led by a stepfather. My mother divorced early on, and he uh, was a man who'd grown up during the Depression years. I don't know how many of you remember those. None of you remember them, but you might have relatives who did. He grew up out in Purcell, Colorado, which is uh, nine miles straight east of Nunn, out in uh, just desert. There's three houses left in Nunn, but he was one of eight children. Uh, he was the only son who could work. His brother had polio. He had six sisters, a mother, and an infirm father who had broken his back. So he lived up in the most difficult times of the Depression. And he learned through that the things, or, you know, that, that's what comes naturally to man, is, is what Solomon has been talking about from the beginning of this book, that we can have wealth but not happiness, that we can have work but not satisfaction. He grew up with that, and over the years of my life under his leadership as in our home, uh, he imparted to me those values. And so for many years, I lived thinking that money was the place to find happiness, uh, not what Solomon teaches. I thought good work and hard work was what it was all about, but that isn't what Solomon says. There's no satisfaction there. So I came to learn those things under his leadership, 
And our family, the, the, the emotions in our family rose and fell with the success of our family business. My relationship with him rose and fell with how well and how hard I worked to make him happy. Uh, I figured that out early on. My brother didn't and was asked to leave home. So that was how I was raised. Uh, my father, my stepfather, uh, never figured out life. Uh, he ended up an alcoholic and he lost everything. This book about wisdom that Solomon has imparted to us is so powerful to help us find true meaning and fulfillment in life. And we come now to kind of the middle of the book. We're going to spend a few verses just wrapping up or uh, putting a period on the first half of the book and then jump into books, or chapter 7 and learn about the reality of what life uh, in the Son, in Christ can be and what the wisdom of God means to our life. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing some of you grew up in a situation not different from mine. You had parents, perhaps, who thought all of life, the fulfillment, the happiness, the contentment of life came with wealth, so they strived for that. Or maybe work was a big thing, and just doing with excellence and all that, trying to find satisfaction, contentment there, I don't know. And maybe the emotions of your family, like mine did, rode up and down with those, and Maybe the, uh, the things that you accomplished uh, brought satisfaction to others and maybe not so much satisfaction to you. So with all that in the background, let's jump into this, this idea of, of where God is and where we're at in this book, uh, just giving uh, a last look at what it's like to live fully under the sun and now step into the reality of what it means to live in the fullness of the wisdom of God. You know, the scriptures teach us that we cannot necessarily... Uh, make a happy, full, rich life by making a good living. What it does teach us that is in the will of God, we can make a really good life in His purposes, in His plan, in all that He has laid out for us. Uh, so with that, let us spend some time looking at this thing that, that is wisdom in the Scriptures. And we're going to get an introduction to it today. As this passage ends up, we see something profoundly powerful in the Word. Solomon tells us that the great, something greater in life is in wisdom rather than wealth. So listen, look with me to what he has to say for us today in these passages. We're going to just briefly wrap up chapter 6, 10 through 12. Solomon first says this, that we really grapple under the sun without understanding of life. He says it this way, Whoever has come to be has already been named, and it is already known what man is, that he is not able to distinguish with one stronger than himself, or dispute with one stronger than himself. What Solomon is saying to us is life without God is very difficult to understand. Uh, there's very little meaning and purpose in it, if any at all. Uh, the settled character of man isn't going to change. If we look around us in the world, People without spiritual life, without faith in Christ, are living as they did even in Solomon's day. Uh, trying to find happiness in the things of this world and wealth. Trying to find their fulfillment in their work. And none of it can really bring those kinds of things to man. They live in a, in a place where they can't escape the limitations of this life. They live in a place where they cannot unravel the questions that plague man. So even if they try to contend with God, they can't win. They can't figure it out. He goes on to say a bit more that without the revelation of God, they will never find what they're looking for in life. Uh, he says 
in uh, verse 11, the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? I don't know if you recognize this in life, but there are endless people out there preaching, teaching, and I'm not talking about the gospel, but talking about how to get a good life, how to live the richness and fullness of, of what things are in this world. And what they lose sight of is the wisdom of God and finding the truth of God to bring fulfillment and meaning in their lives. They don't understand that God has ordered the world in this way and that they can't change it. They may want to argue with him. They may want to out-talk him, but it will not have any impact. Job was unable to find out the wise from God. All God ever said to Job was, trust my promises. And that's the life where we find blessing and fullness. Let's talk a bit about what verse 12 says. And who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. What he's reminding us of is the brevity of life. When you get to be my age and you look back over the course of your life, you ask this question, where did it all go? It seems like it's just vanished. And, and that's what Solomon is saying to us. Uh, what, what lies after these few days? Why did it pass so fast? What can we learn from it all? Uh, he has explored everything in his life. Wealth, power, women, everything. And he's not found the meaning and satisfaction he's looked for. So what we're left with is what he says in the latter part of 12. And who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? What's all this life about? What does it lead to? Is there something that follows what we've experienced so far and what we'll experience in the future? Kind of what, where we end up with this book, I think, is with two unanswered questions that man must deal with without God. The first is there are no absolute values to live for. None. What, what, is, what is man without God living for? The accumulation of things, uh, the experiences of life, we'll address those in a bit. A second thing is there's no practical certainty to plan for. What happens after death? Who knows? Under the sun, there are no answers. Apart from faith and knowledge through the scriptures and of Christ, we cannot find answers to those questions. So what Solomon does now is leaves us with that enigma, that paradox, as Dan has expressed so often, and is going to usher us into what is true wisdom, true understanding, true enlightenment that comes alone from God. And so understand the source of everything that follows now is the Father, the Lord God. Uh, the Proverbs tell us this in 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom. Understanding of life comes alone from Him. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're, we're going to see Solomon dive deeply into these questions in the balance of uh, what we're going to talk about today. Before we go there, though, I want to share a quote with you. I don't know the author of it, but I think it's so powerful in light of what we've just seen in this, uh, this brief uh, review of, of the tail end of chapter 6, that riches... Don't bring happiness. A successful or skilled work doesn't bring satisfaction. Life is an enigma. We live with paradoxes. This is what this writer says. Don't let anything less than God be the center of your life because everything else is subject to destruction and to death. Let that soak in for a moment. What, what follows this life is this one truth. God exists and in Him alone is life. 
Everything between now and then, if it isn't from his good hand working through us, is vanity. It is of no value uh, in, in the sense that it will further his kingdom and bless our lives with a great life. The writer goes on to say, God alone is everlasting, unchanging, full of love and compassion, and we have all seen it in his son, Jesus Christ. The reality, the truth, the, the value of life is found alone in, in the scriptures and in the Lord Jesus. So at this point, Solomon is going to leave us with four paths to wisdom. The first of these is the development of character. He says it this way, a good name is better than precious ointment. The picture here is uh, when, a, when a, in the Old Testament, a man's name was a representative of his character. And this idea of ointment is, is putting pleasurable olive oil on your body. That was a dry, parched land where, where it was a luxurious uh, experience to do that. And what Solomon is telling us is character is better than luxury. Character uh, growing in your faith and in the knowledge of God is better than any experience of luxury or uh, uh, expensive, exorbitant living could ever bring to life. And we live in a world that does what? It propagates, it sells, it does everything it can to get us to focus not on character, but on the luxuries of life. Everything. That's what advertising does. And Solomon is just reminding us here that nothing is going to change life. Uh, this is God's settled plan. <clears throat> What's important and what matters is our life in Christ and growth in Him. He says it this way in the latter part of... of uh, or, uh, yeah, the latter part of verse 1. And the day of death than the day of birth, that the day of death is better than the day of birth. <clears throat> Excuse me. What he means here is that when a child is born and brought into the world, it's a life of potential. But at death, you can see the character that's come onto that life. Uh, and especially if it's come from the Father through the, through the work of the Spirit and the Word of God. So it's better to look back on life and see what God has done through it. So Better the day of death than the day of birth. So the focus here is on a strong character growing in the truth and, and <clears throat> in uh, all of the teachings of the Scripture. I, I want to just share this with you. There's no place that we see in all of reality greater truth and greater life than in Jesus Christ. He's it. You want to see life? Jesus is it. You want to see truth? Jesus is it. Understand, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The closer we draw to Jesus, the more of the abundant life God wants, to us, wants us to have, and the greater sense of wisdom will become ours, and the greater ability to live life in the way that we're called to live it. That is true and real life. So focus on character. Make plans in your life to think of ways to to develop and, and grow in your character. Don't, don't just look at uh, the luxuries that are around us and sold to us. The second thing he says is learn from death. This, this idea of <clears throat> how are you using the experiences of your life? He says it this way, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. So literally in a simple way, he's saying it's way better to go to a funeral. You'll learn more there. You'll have to evaluate life. You'll have to consider your own life. You'll have <clears throat> you'll have to realize that, that life is limited and there's only so much time we have, so many things we can accomplish with this life that we have. 
So it's good to look at life in that way and to see what's there. And so he encourages that. Understand, life is full of worthwhile uh, experiences and not so worthwhile experiences. And he's saying, focus on those experiences in your life that bring value. Knowing God, growing in God, advancing his kingdom. When you go to a funeral, you can see, especially if it's a believer's, a lot of times there's testimony and scripture read and, and a powerful life is explained and the source of growth and, and of fruitfulness is revealed to us. Contrast that with uh, just going to a party. What can you learn at a party? You can have a good time. You can hang out with your friends. You can meet some people. But you can't learn a lot of lessons about life. So his encouragement is think that way. He wraps this thought up with this word. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to the heart. So wisdom lays these truths to our hearts so that we will continue to seek and learn and grow through considering these things. Dan's told us over the last few months about his tattoo he wants to get. uh, I can't say it in the Latin, but it's remember death. That's a good, wise thing to do. Death is coming for all of us. I'm sad to say this to you, but not one of us is going to escape that unless Jesus comes back quickly. Uh, We all will face death. And are you prepared for that? Are you aware of that? Are you building toward that? He says also, grow in sorrow. Sorrow is better than laughter. Verse 3, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The idea here is that uh, we need to embrace the struggles and hardships of life. No pain, no gain is the saying. The reality is that's true spiritually as well as it is in an athletic sense. God has ordered his world in a way that we will face not just his blessing, prosperity, but also adversity. We'll talk about more of this in, in a moment. But when you have those opportunities to face the sorrows of life, embrace them, Uh, What they do is bring us to the end of ourselves and our great need for Him. Seldom do we reach out to God in our prosperity. Often we reach out to Him in the midst of our sorrows and our grief. And and He says here, uh, it's so much better than laughter. Uh, The heart of fools brings no growth. You you know, I, I think about our culture and so much that goes on around us is focused on these kinds of areas. Experiences. Uh, happy times. I think the drug culture is, is just a, a way to escape life, to not face the sorrows and hardships and struggles of life. And if you're a young person caught up in this culture and you're tempted to go down that path, there is nothing in drugs that will draw you, grow you, keep you clinging close to Christ. Your faith will, I'm not going to say it'll go away, but it will be uh, very much diminished. So stay away from that stuff. It's just a, a way to to miss the value and the power of struggling through life with the help and the strength and the patience and the love of God. He's given these things to us that we might grow in them. The fourth thing he says is hear rebuke. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of a wise man than to hear the songs of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. What, what, what he's talking about here is this, this simple, plain truth. Are you teachable? Are we open to instruction? 
Are we willing to examine our lives before the Word of God to see if we are in fact living in a way that's promoting our growth, drawing us and bringing us closer to Christ's likeness and spiritual fruitness for Him and for His kingdom? Are we living for His kingdom or for our pleasure? These are huge questions to ask ourselves. And right in the middle of all this is this question, do we take rebuke or would we rather listen to the fools around us? You know, I thought of the prodigal son uh, as I read these verses. What did he do? He listened to his senseless, foolish friends and they led him away from uh, his God and his family and his life. And it wasn't until he came to the end of himself that he saw and repented and returned from that. The scriptures are given to bring rebuke to our lives and correction and training so that we can uh, live a life of holiness and godliness. Here's a quote that I think is pretty profound from Packer. He says, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. It's to bring spiritual truth into our lives. That's one thing death does. It brings the reality and finality of life to us. It's a power to see that this life is momentary and to choose a better path through it than maybe we would have otherwise and then to reach out and find it through the scriptures and through brothers and sisters in Christ. So those are four things that can lead to wisdom. Solomon goes on to give us four barriers to that same wisdom. And if we need to, uh, we really need to hear these as well as the others. The first one he says is uh, in verse 7. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and bribes corrupts the heart. He's talking here about deception, I believe. This word speaks of how we can deceive ourselves by listening too much to the world. You know, uh, the world sells a, a package of goods that don't bring fulfillment. We've seen that in the first six chapters. Wealth doesn't bring happiness. Work doesn't bring satisfaction. This is God's ordered way of the world. We can be deceived with that. We can listen to the values of our culture and the ideals and goals of it. We can strive for those things. We can try to excel to meet them. And oftentimes when we do that, we deceive ourselves. We come up losers. We don't have the success that we think we ought to have. We consider ourselves failures or people who uh, aren't worthy of, of any kind of goodness in life. I don't know if you've ever been there in your head, but I think that's the madness he talks about where we're so self-condemning in how we think about ourselves, all a result of listening to the world rather than the Word of God. This is a powerful thing. It makes people miserable. If you want a, a good way out of that, I, I want to recommend a book to you. It's uh, out on our bookshelf called Spiritual Depression. And in the book, the author talks about many of us live as miserable Christians because we are evaluating ourselves according to the world rather than the Gospels. The gospel leads us into understanding we're broken, that we are sinful, that we can't do everything we think or the world tells us we should be able to do. And it, it drives us, leads us, encourages us to draw close to the Father through the Son. He is our righteousness. He is our life. He is our source of truth. The world leads us away. He draws us close. He goes on to say in this verse, uh, bribery corrupts the heart. What I think sometimes is when we have this stuff floating around our head, these negative thoughts about we're, 
we're uh, not as good as we should be. We can't accomplish what we want to be. We, we bargain with ourselves. We bribe ourselves. Well, if I just get that done, I'll give myself a break. I'll, I'll go buy something. I'll get a new outfit. I'll, I'll go on a vacation. I'll do some of this stuff. We're bribing ourselves to work harder in the flesh to accomplish what only the Spirit of God and the Word of God can accomplish in our lives. Are you doing that? you bribe yourselves with worldly things instead of embracing the truth and the reality of the gospel. That is to live the deception, I believe, that Solomon talks of. The second thing is impatience. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the, patient, and the patience in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You know, the, the reality, I believe, that he's talking about here is, is the reality of when we know God, when we walk with God, when we are filled with the Word of God more and more, we learn to be patient and we learn to wait on God. We learn to go through this life in a journey that rests with Him. I'm not talking about being slothful or, or uh, not doing our duties or the things we need. What I'm talking about is not becoming irritated with God and the things and the, past, uh, the, the pace of life, seeing things happen in the way and order in which we want them. I don't know about you, but I want life to go my way. I want it to do and provide me what I want in my time frame. In reality, what humility is and what impatience or, or what patience is, trusting God in His time and His methods to lead us and guide us and walk us through this life so that we can find the fullness and richness of His blessing. You know, none of us enjoy pain. Everybody wants to struggle over with quickly. I hate James 1, 2, you know, where it says, count it all joy. You know, who, who wants to do that in a trial? I want to run from the trial. But, but if I do that, I miss what God can do in my heart and life through the trial. I will never look back on that trial and rejoice and testify to what God did in my life. We could take hours just to talk about that one concept. But understand Cultivate humility and patience with God. It's, uh, it's a sign of maturity. Impatience is a barrier, roadblock to maturity. The next one is hostility, the fourth. This happens. Hostility flows out of a heart that's focused and self-centered and wants only to exalt self, experience only self's way. He says, do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of the fool. The idea here is when self is dominating and, and literally ruling our lives, we want what we want. And we get angry when we don't get it. We don't get our way, so we get angry. We don't get it in the time we want it, we get angry. So on and on it goes. And anger can become a settled part of our life. And it can literally dominate us. Are you, do you struggle with this kind of anger day to day? Look at yourself. Is, is it self uh, is it a result of your view of yourself, humility before God, trusting God's timetable, God's work in your life? Th this is what I believe is in view here. God's purposes and ways will be fulfilled in our lives in His time, in His manner, in His way, in His provision. Are we looking to that? Are we listening to that? Are we resting in that? Or are we fighting and angry with Him over those things? We could spend, again, much time on this, but the reality is, Watch anger. Don't allow it to dominate your life. It's just an expression of your selfishness, self-centeredness. The fourth one is nostalgia. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? 
for it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Sometimes, uh, you know, the older you get, you have more past times, more days of better in the past, and you want to go back and live there. But what you do is you're robbing yourself of the reality of going through another trial, going through another experience, going through another opportunity to grow in your relationship with the Father through the Son, uh, driving deeper into the Word of God, finding His fullness and His satisfaction there. So don't think the, the past was better than today. The reality is it had just as many problems, just as much suffering, just as much hardship as today. We just don't remember it. We just remember the good stuff so often. Not exclusively, but often it's that way. And we fail to allow God to work in our hearts and lives. So avoid the roadblocks that keep us from growing in wisdom. J.I. Packer said this, not until we have become humble and teachable standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. Think about that. Let me read it again. It's so powerful. Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of the holiness and sovereignty of God, Acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and being willing to have our minds turned upside down, then divine wisdom can grow and flourish in our hearts and lives. The result of all this is greater than prosperity. We learn that in verse 11 and 12. There Solomon says, wisdom is good with an inheritance and adverse, or excuse me, an advantage to those who see the sun. The word here that's so interesting is inheritance. It's the Old Testament Hebrew word for the promised land. God led his people for 40 years through what? Hardship, discouragement, failure. And what did he usher them into? He ushered them into the promised land, finally. What, what uh, Solomon is saying is we could enter his promise now in the gospel and in the truths of Christ we have an access to wisdom. Wisdom is the path to the promised land for us. Mentally and spiritually and emotionally and, and, and in every facet of our being, wisdom brings us to the fullness of every blessing God has for us. May we seek those and grow toward those, long for those. An advantage to those who see the sun. Uh, He's coming out from under this life that lives apart from any thought of God or his truth. He goes on to say in verse 12, and this is, this is so amazing. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. He's, he's saying, sure, money can bring some security to life. We probably all have 501, whatever they call them retirement accounts, we have some money put away, whatever. And there is some security in that. But what he's saying to us is true security, eternal security, final security, overwhelming security isn't found there. You know, the stock market's what, gone down 2,000 points in the last couple of weeks? Uh, what'd that do to your 5013, whatever it is? Uh, uh, anyway, but, but the reality is God doesn't change. His work never ceases to be applicable, true and whole and rich for us. So embrace that. He, he says wisdom is, is as good as, and he even says it's better than wealth. Have you looked at wisdom that way in your life? Do you see it with that perspective? 
It can preserve your life. I don't know anybody who has wisdom that can lengthen or prolong their life with money. But God's wisdom can. He says that. It's far superior to wealth. So in it, we find the great confidence of God's word and his truth and his work in our lives. But also there's joy in the, uh, in the midst of this as we submit to him. We see this in 13 and 14. Consider the work of God who, has made, who can make straight what he's made crooked. In the days of prosperity, be joyful. And in the days of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. The reality is life is the way it is because this is in the providential wisdom and guidance and hand of God. He is sovereign. This world isn't going to change. Man isn't going to change apart from God's truth and the gospel. Uh, apart from the work of the Spirit coming into our lives and transforming us and working within us. So embrace that. Find joy in it. When you have prosperity, embrace it. Rejoice in it as a gift from God's good hand. When we face adversity, understand this is a time for God to work wonders through His provision, His strength, His, His help, His promises for life. And find joy in that as well. And remember, God made the one as well as the other. This is the world he's made. Get ready for it. Are you going to go through life with prosperity uh, always? No, you're going to face adversity. Is life going to be all adverse? No, there's going to be prosperity. But they're both his gifts for our growth, for our rejoicing and goodness in him. Embrace those things. Just to wrap up here, I, I want to remind you of, of the four paths to wisdom. The first is character. Focus on character. Work at developing your character, growing in character. Maybe hang out with some other believers and, and not just talk about what the Bible says. Talk about what the Bible's doing in your life. How's it transforming you? What is it doing to your character? Think about death. Remember, death is coming. Uh, what are you going to do between now and that time when it comes? And none of us know when it's going to come. But make sure you're making plans down that path. As I was thinking about this, it just dawned on me, you know, the, the big thing now is to have a bucket list, all the things you're going to do before you die. Most of them, in my view, are pretty fleshly. So what I want to encourage you today to do this, maybe you've got a bucket list, I don't know. What I want to encourage you to do is develop a spiritual bucket list. What are the things you want to accomplish spiritually in your life before you meet God? I think that would honor Him and bless your life in big ways. Understand the sorrows and difficulties of life are from the hand of God, both the good stuff, the bad stuff for our growth, for our dependency on Him, growing in Him. Listen and evaluate, rebuke. Listen to the Word. Listen to wise brothers, sisters who give us instruction, who correct us. Seek it out if you're struggling in some area. God's wisdom can give you a path to walk. Avoid these roadblocks. Avoid the fleshly barriers like the deception of the world. Don't allow it to control what you think. Think what the Word says. Allow the Word of God to control what you think. Don't be deceived by it. Don't play games with it by trying to bribe yourself. Deal with impatience. Trust God. Trust God every day. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you alone. Be patient with Him. Don't be impatient. Don't show your discontent with him and his provision for your life. Watch your anger. Anger is just that simple reflection of our self-centeredness, our selfishness, our self 
focus, our self-desires, set those aside. Trust Him. Trust in Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Reject nostalgia. You know, this is life. It may be hard today. It may be harder tomorrow. It may be great tomorrow. Embrace it. God has given you every resource through the gospel, through Jesus, to embrace the life we have today. So embrace it. Walk steadfast in the wisdom of God that he might continue to grow you and transform you more and more into the image of his son. So with that, let me pray. Father, thank you that your wisdom is better than wealth. It is an immense gift you've given us it is Christ himself, Lord. We know that in the scriptures, oftentimes, wisdom is, is a, a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the full manifestation and expression of your divine wisdom. Lord, use the wisdom, these simple truths in this passage today to draw us into a greater understanding and dependence on you, greater patience, greater love, greater desire to know you and walk with you in every way. And we'll give you the thanks and praise. Fill our hearts with joy and, and confidence as we make this journey together and with you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.